This is Undaunted Life, a man's podcast. I'm your host, Kyle Thompson. Let's get into it. All right, guys, we've got a special guest on the podcast today. His name is Joshua Broom. So he was a porn star for six years and performed in over a thousand adult films. And at one point, he was even given the top award in the adult film industry as performer of the year. And so a lot of you guys know his story because he's not a porn star anymore. He's actually a pastor now. He went to school for biblical theology, and that's kind of what he does now. But in this particular podcast, we talk about what things from his childhood led him to go to Los Angeles to try to become famous and then end up in the pornography industry. We go over some of the misconceptions about the pornography industry, especially from consumers of that particular, you know, I guess, form of entertainment, if you can call it such a thing. And even we talk about the different levels of depravity and things that he was pulled into. Because at one point, even after doing a thousand different films in straight pornography, he actually transitioned into doing gay pornography. And you would think like, oh, you know, maybe he's bisexual, maybe he had, you know, homosexual leanings as a kid. But the way he describes it is very, very different. So you need to stick around for that because it's incredibly interesting to look at that. But then we go into, you know, how he considered suicide at one point, not just considered it, planned it out and kind of how the Holy Spirit had a hand in keeping that from happening through working from some, you know, through another employee at a business that he was at at the time. And then we get into, you know, how he's rebuilt his his life, how he met his wife right now, kind of how they've worked through like, okay, here y'all are trying to have a healthy sexual relationship within the confines of a godly marriage with a man that had promiscuous sex all the time and a lot of times got paid to do that. And so we we talked through that. And then at the end, we just kind of flowed for a little bit. We went well beyond the time we had even planned for just because we, we got into what our identity is and what an actual porn problem says about you. Cause we think it's a porn problem, but it's not, it's a masturbation problem, but it's not just that it's even worse than that. We have a self-medication problem. But it's even worse than that because we don't have a self-medication problem. We have a God-shaped hole in our soul that we're trying to fill with this, you know, release of ejaculation or something like that. And so we just get into a lot of those different areas and you can just tell this guy's just had his life completely turned upside down by God in such a great and amazing way. I will tell you again, it is an adult subject matter today. And so some of the things that are described are probably going to be a little bit too severe for some super, super young ears, but it's not an explicit interview in the way that you might think. But guys, I really, really enjoyed my time with Joshua. So without further ado, Let's get into it. Joshua Broom, welcome to Undaunted Life, a man's podcast. Hey, glad to be here. Glad we, glad we finally made it happen. We finally made it happen, but I do got to ask you right from the jump here, Joshua, I've seen you on other shows. I've seen you being interviewed and you've got like this fancy studio set up. You got this cool mic. You got a cool background. Why do you hate the listeners and viewers of Undaunted Life, a man's podcast? What did we do to you? Hey, uh, I know that you guys didn't need all the bells and whistles. So I wanted to just bring some more uh, authenticity and vulnerability. So I wanted to remove myself from the comforts and just put myself into the woods. So here I am. Okay. Well, hey, if pastoring doesn't work out for you, you might have a future in politics because you just skirted right around my question. (laughs) But we're going to dig into your story. A lot of people in my audience know your story. But for those that don't, uh, we're going to be covering a lot of ground. Uh, When I did the introduction, I kind of gave a sense of where we were going to be going today. But where I wanted to start is obviously a, a... a hinge point of your story, Joshua, is when you moved out to Hollywood to make it as it were, you went out to LA and you chased the dream like a lot of people do. Yeah. And, and we'll get to that. But when you talk to people that ended up doing the things that you did and were at the kind of dire place that you were in, you can kind of look at their childhood yeah. and see the scars and some of the things that shaped them at that time that led to future sins, future mistakes, future lifestyle choices. So let's let's start with your childhood and then let's make it all the way up to Los Angeles. Yeah. I mean, to your point, uh, a lot of the people that made the decisions that I made later in my life have um, traumatic stories. I mean, you, you said that yeah. you, uh, you know, you've had Brittany on and, and Brittany has uh, just a, a, a horrible season of her life led to her making decisions that were contingent of how she saw herself and how she saw the world. Um, but for me, uh, not similar in that sense, but I grew up in South Carolina. Um, the thing for me, my gap or my trauma was the fact that my mom had me when she was 16 and I didn't have a father. Um, but my father was in close enough proximity being in a small town in South Carolina 
that I saw him on a daily basis. So growing up in this really small city, you know, just a, a few thousand people, one one grocery store, one gas station, one drugstore. Mm. So I would see him in town. And um, as I was young, it was confusing because I knew him to be my dad, but he never played the role of my dad in my life or in my home. Um, so that was confusing. And that eventually led to me being frustrated and angered by that. Because as he got older, he gets married, has a very successful career, has other kids. And as um, I'm growing up, we're, you know, my mom's amazing, but we were struggling financially. So I didn't have some of the things that I saw other people having. And then uh, these, these other two siblings that I have, um, growing up having the things um, that I didn't, um, and like financially, sure, but even more importantly, they had a debt. Right. So uh, there's so much there, but I, we'll, we'll tease that up for a little bit later. Yeah. So you have kind of this this father-shaped hole inside of your soul, and you were looking for validation in other places. And from what I know about your story, you did find validation in dating, in girls. You found validation yeah. in athletics, um, in performing uh, well athletically. I think you played basketball. Yeah. But then you thought you had a future, and you wanted to basically go be a movie star. You make it out to Los Angeles. You do what most people do in Los Angeles, where yeah. you know they don't just walk right onto the set of the new Avengers film right they got to go do something bus tables wait yeah. tables something like that so you're doing that type of work and then you're approached by a group of good-looking young ladies and they pitch you on something that really led you on a, a crazy path so so go back to to that restaurant and go back to those ladies what happened yeah like to your point um like many people chasing their green their dream i move out to hollywood and again um my story you know tying it back to the trauma was uh you know, I was working at a, a really well-known place in uh, in Hollywood on Sunset Boulevard. You know, I was making four or five hundred dollars a night. You know, in that restaurant, which sounds like a ton, but in Hollywood, it's not. <laughs> um, you know, it's enough, but it's not a ton. And uh, but I mean, I had an agent. Uh, I was doing modeling and I was doing acting. I was taking improv classes. I was doing all the things that I needed to do to move into the direction that I wanted to go. And then I'm to your point, I'm working in this restaurant. Uh, three women walk, um, walk in, sit down at this table. I'm going to wait on them. Uh, very attractive. You know, I'm going to, you know, use my, my Southern charm, you know, may, yeah. maybe get their numbers, hang out with them, you know, maybe get a good tip. I don't know. A lot of celebrities came in there. Um, and then we started having this conversation and then they pretty much, you know, within five minutes were like, Hey, uh, do you want to be an actor? And I was like, great, you know, this is my segue into a project or they're going to introduce me to someone because, you know, uh, in that industry and in pretty much any industry, you know, the trajectory of your career moves at the speed of relationship. It's not, yeah. you know, having the right reel or having the right photos or, or whatever preparation that you could have, which is important, but more often than not, you meet someone that knows someone that gets you somewhere and um, that's what I thought was going to happen. But they were like, no, we're talking about porn. And for me, um, so I'd seen porn when I was like 14, 15. And um, it was a magazine. And, you know, it you know, made me feel some sort of way. And then, you know, as I got older, I, I saw it, you know, a few vid videos here and there. But it was never something that I struggled with. But I do believe it impacted the life of promiscuity that I was leaving because, again, I was searching for validation and I had access to things. But, uh, you know, a good rule of thumb is just because you, you could doesn't mean you should. <laughs> so, yeah, right. uh, you know, and, and I'm trying to fill this gap. And, and unfortunately, I'm, I'm using people to try to mitigate my pain. And um, so I was very promiscuous. But I do believe that me seeing those images and me seeing pornography and seeing people portrayed in this way, seeing women portrayed in that way, it did make me believe a lie that that's what um, sex sh looks like. And that's what, you know, it, it's, it's as easy as just walking into a room and asking for it. Um, so they, they say this and, you know, just to give you a little context, I have been exposed to it before 
uh, but never been in it. And they asked me this and I, and, and they used language that kind of broke down a barrier. They said, Hey, do you want to meet with our agent? And being someone that was in the entertainment industry, I was like, okay, well that for some reason that validated at least meeting yeah. the guy because agent agency representation. I'm like, okay, well, I guess I'll meet the guy. Like, what could it hurt? And I go and meet the agent, and he asked me three questions, which were highly manipulative in retrospect. But he asked me, um, what what was I doing out there? Um, I'm sorry. He asked me, how did I grow up? What was I doing in L.A.? What did I hope to accomplish? And I was like, well, you know, it's pretty much just me and my mom, and I want to be an actor and uh, maybe do some modeling. And I guess my objective is to be famous. And it's funny that I said that because that, that was somewhat true. But I think even my passion was skewed by my trauma because I being famous wasn't really my goal. It was really I have a desire to be creative, to impact people in a positive way. I mean, that's true today. That's still who I am. Um, but I think in, under the gun, that's what I said. And he was like, great. Uh, in, in the porn industry, everything was shifting to parroting movies and, and doing, you know, doing these things with these big scripts and, and all this stuff. So he's like acting, you know, having an acting background is going to be advantageous for you. You're a good looking guy. Uh, if you can do it, uh, you can be as famous as you want to be. So I think I could make you the number one guy. Uh, you can make all the money. You can be famous. You know, all these things that like my, my heart uh, was hearing uh, and my mind was interpreting as well. I understand, like I wasn't naive to believe this is exactly what I want to do. Um, but I did hear it through uh, the, like a counterfeited lens where it's like, this sounds somewhat like a, what I want. You know, this is this is kind of what I want. And, you know, like how bad could that be? I was like, sure, you know, I'll, I'll give it a shot. Even, even though hearing it, and I should have thought, well, if I do this, which, 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 which is, this is how you stop doing the thing you don't want to do. I feel this, but what's the cost? You know, I, I want to do this. And maybe it will feel good, or maybe it seems like a good idea in the moment, but what is it going to cost me? And I did not think that through. When, of course, Joshua, when you're, when you're at that age, you can kind of give a guy the benefit of the doubt and say, okay, maybe there's, there's nothing there, but he was manipulating you. He knew what he was doing. He had likely done it hundreds of times sure. before. Get you through the door. Well, even the girl, I'm sorry, go ahead. Yeah. No, 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 please. Well, I was going to say, even the girls, the, the, the girls were scouting. So they, right, exactly. they were compensated for every person they got to sign a contract. Yep. That's, that's commission. That's, that's prospecting. That's all the things you learn in sales. It's just a slightly different industry. Yeah. So you get, you get through the door and, you know, obviously, as I said in the introduction, you were in this industry for six years. You were named performer of the year at one point. You were known as a reliable guy, you know, in yeah. a, in a kind of a shady, weird world of pornography, you were like the reliable guy that would show up on set and be ready to go. Yeah. But what I want to talk about, uh, cause obviously we're talking to guys in this audience, me being one of them that yeah, I used to struggle with porn a long time ago. Yeah. There's a lot of guys in the audience that are currently in that fight. Part of it is because of what we perceive porn to be yeah. and what we perceive being in the porn industry is. There are a lot of young guys that are like, oh man, that's got to be great. You're having sex with the most beautiful women every single day. This is amazing. Yeah. But they're not thinking about the fact that you're on a set. Yeah. Like there's there's a bunch of cameras around and there's a bunch of resets and you're, you're having to do a bunch of different things that people don't really see with the finished product. So let's talk a little bit about what the public perceives about porn that's true but then what the generalized public perceives about porn that is just super off the mark yeah so it's pretty interesting so for me you kind of um i mean it, it was still kind of old school um so for the guys in the industry so it this was you know before the world of only fans and all this stuff um like you had to pay your dues 
to get in. So uh, what paying your dues looked like as a younger guy was um, what was popular is young guy, older girl, young fit guy, very large girl. And you, that's that's what I, that's what you had to do. It's like I'm, I was, you know, doing scenes with women who were older than my mom, and um, it's like you you in and the reason that they do that is you. It, it's not about intimacy. So if you if you are trying to be in that industry and you believe it's through connectivity. It's actually the opposite of that. To be successful in that industry, you have to be able to disconnect. And it becomes arbitrary. And it's just this monotonous task that you're doing that's not contingent on connection. It's you doing something so that you can get paid. And the way that you do that, you take erectile dysfunction medication. But even if you can't disconnect, it's still not going to work. So... So I would just say, look, you pay your dues. So number one, uh, you, you're the, the 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 lie is you're having you know relations with all these beautiful girls. Not the case, because the person having you know the person doing that with the pretty girl, they had to do a hundred scenes with someone else to prove that they wouldn't fail. Because here's the deal: uh, the person holding the camera, they're footing the bill for everything, and everyone's getting paid except the guy for sure. And what I mean by like the girl, she shows up, she's getting paid. The, you know, the director, the sound, the lighting, the location, all those things are getting paid for. But if the guy doesn't do the job, there's no product. So that guy's certainly not getting paid and he's not working again. So there's a lot of pressure. So the director's only going to hire someone that's reliable. Um, but yeah, man, like to your point, like you, I, you get on set you know, there's, there's three cameras, you know, there's someone holding a boom over your head. There's someone holding a sea light, you know, under your crotch. Um, there's someone eating Doritos in the corner. You know, it's, it's so far removed from anything that's real connection. The probability that you know the girl's name, little to none. Um, there's, there's no, there's, there's often, there's no eye connection whatsoever, because she's trying to get through it and you're trying to do it. And both of you, while you're connected from a physical standpoint, you're disconnected from an emotional and a mental standpoint because that's the only way to get it done. And you have a director telling you what to do. So you're not doing what feels good. You're doing what you're being told to do and you're right. doing it for camera. So you're doing it to be seen. You're not doing it for your feelings or your benefit. Um, so like, yeah, to your point, it's so far removed from anything, you know, the, the girls using some kind of lubricant, the guys using some kind of, you know, erectile dysfunction medication. And, uh, it's, it's about as fake as it could be what with it still happening in a sense. Well, and so as you're watching it, you have to disconnect, but as you just described, there's a lot of disconnection happening with everybody that's, that's on the set. I want to talk a little bit more about that disconnection in terms of the level of depravity, because some people think, oh, if you bring up stuff like that, you're trying to shame people. But, but the reality is, is as far as I understand it at different points of your career, you weren't just doing straight porn. You were also doing gay porn. Yeah. But for you, I, I think I've heard you describe it before, but it's been a while to where it's like, it wasn't as if you know, you grew up questioning your sexuality. It was, it was a job. It, it was just another person. It was just another scene that you had to shoot. Yeah. So talk to me just about really where it went, because it's not just a, hey, you know, I had to, you know, have sex with uh, some bigger women or I had to have sex with this yeah. type of thing. It was like, you were just a guy checking a box every single day, regardless of who it was on the other end. Yeah. And, and it's, it's funny because a lot of people would just like do a quick Google and it's like, Oh, this guy did gay porn. Like, well, the reality was, uh, is I did six years of straight porn. I did over a thousand movies and I won every award there was to win. And that messed my head up so much that like, did I have a desire to, to do gay porn? No, like literally. So every day I thought about taking my life and yeah. I didn't want to do what I wanted to do. And it, it, it's wild to even like talk through this, but what made sense in my head were two things. Uh, number one, if I do a gay scene, then that would disqualify me from going back. That would burn. That would burn my boat 
because back then, again, very different world. You know, this is 10, 10 plus years ago. Um, if you did a gay scene, girls would not work with you. There were, there were no crossover. So if you did a gay scene, bridge burned. No directors hiring me. No girls will work with me. So that career, the, the credibility that I had, the stature that I had, gone. Like completely gone. So as once I do that one, it's gone. And I thought, okay, you know, obviously very popular guy, good looking guy, the gay studios all the time. Every every successful straight actor would get re, you know, get emails, requests, hey, if you do one scene, we'll pay you an astronomical amount of money. And then, you know, I, I got these requests all the time. And then one day, you know, I'm I'm thinking, you know, whatever, and I get an email. And I get this offer for this massive contract for 30 scenes. And I was like, screw it. You know, I, who cares? Um, and then I do it and it's so much worse than I thought. It's so much worse than I thought. And then I had to go from taking Viagra to taking Caverjack. So I'm injecting something into myself so that I have an erection, whether you know, I'm reading a newspaper or, you know, what, whatever I'm doing. And then a lot of those studios require that because, man, it's so twisted because in that industry, you've got straight guys doing this stuff, watching straight porn in the background, try, yeah. trying to get through it. And it's like, you know, talking about, you know, like how sad is that? Um, but that was an, that was to a point where. Every single day leading up to that, I was thinking about taking my life. And then I started doing those movies. And then I started making a plan to take my life. And, you know, one day I, I did a scene in Atlanta. Come, I flew back and on the plane, I'm like, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take my life. I got enough pain pills to, to do the job. I lined them up on the counter. And um, there was this, I had a, a payroll check in my, in my uh, pants pocket. And it was just driving me crazy. It was, I just couldn't like... I mean, I just got to get this check out of my pocket and I look at it. I'm like, well, if I'm going to take my life, then uh, might as well have as much money as possible in the bank. So it goes to my mom or whoever it's going to go to. So I go to this bank and I go to deposit the check. And normally I would either go to the ATM or the Dropbox because I didn't want to hand someone a check that had a memo on it that said, you know, what the name of the movie was, which was always, you know, something vile. And, but this day I didn't care, you know, I was, I was about to go back to my place and, and kill myself. So I, I go and, um, and I was about to go back to my place, you know, uh, may, may, the, the, the political correct term that we can use, it'll be on social media is I was going to unalive myself, you know? Um, yeah. and I go back to my place. I um, mean, and that's what I, I plan on doing, but I'm in the bank, slide the check across the counter and, you know, normal transaction and I get the receipt and I go to walk away and this, um, this woman with glasses, brown hair, she had a little bit of gray in her hair. Um, I can remember her face so clearly, but she looks me in the eye and says, Joshua, are you okay? Joshua, is there something I can do for you? And what she didn't know, which I believe it was a, uh, the Holy Spirit um, working through her but what she didn't know is um, I had not heard my name in about 18 months. Because as I, as I started going through this depression, um, I started distancing myself from my mom, my brother, my family, my friends. Um, anyone that would say, Joshua, I love you, uh, but you're better than this. Are you okay? What's going on? Like you, you're, you're not yourself. Like you, you could be doing something else. Anyone that challenged my life choices, and, and this is true for anyone. This is, this is the beauty of accountability. When someone comes to you and say, hey, man, uh, you're, you're, you're acting a little off. You're, you're out of bounds here. You, you're, you're talking to your wife in a way that um, I've never heard you speak to, to her that way. Are you okay? And you hear these things, and you either acknowledge them to be true, and you make a change, or... You push that person away, and I pushed everyone away that was telling me anything other than, you know, I, I was doing a good job, or I was the man, or, or my life's amazing. If anyone that wasn't saying that to me got pushed away, 
and now I'm, I, I make these choices and I'm in, in you know, the, the gay industry is completely a different industry. It's not the same directors. It's not, you know, the same people in it. So I have ostracized myself. I'm not communicating with anyone in that industry. I don't have any friends. I'm not friends with any of the directors. And I'm completely on this island. No one even called me by my name. And I'd gotten to the point where I had allowed the people that I saw in the gym, they knew me to be this guy. They called me that name. Uh, my barber knew me to be this guy. He called me that name. No one was calling me Joshua. And in a, in a very real way, Joshua in my life and in the real world, it ceased to exist. But when she said my name, dude... Well, so <clears throat> Joshua, the, the the thing that keeps coming to mind as you're talking is the word disconnection. Yeah. So early in life, you had a disconnection from your father. You were working in the porn industry, but you were disconnected from what you were doing with your body. You were disconnected from your given name. You were disconnected. You were trying to disconnect yourself from your life yeah. until I absolutely believe God used that bank teller to just be like, and guess what, guys? That bank teller probably heard a whisper in her ear and she got to decide whether or not she was going to act on it. And so just think about that the next time that you feel a whisper, like, hey, go talk to that person, go talk to somebody else. You get to decide whether or not that you're a part of the Holy Spirit's plan. Man, I don't know if you see that, that, bro. But you see what I'm saying? Yeah. Like it's that it's that level of disconnection because again, yeah. we we just think, oh, you know, I, I just maybe I had gas, maybe maybe I just like I got that idea. But filter that whisper in your ear sure. through the scriptures, through biblical understanding, and know that that's not coming from Satan. That's coming from somewhere else. Yeah. And so even even further to to keep going within your story. You, you get out of the pornography industry, you, you basically burn your bridges, you go back home, you move in with your mom, you're trying to rebuild your life, you keep running into all these people that know you as the yeah. other guy from the other thing that they watched. Yeah. And it, it's, it's a difficult time period. But you're, as I understand it, you're working at a gym. And you see a young lady that you're attracted to and you go into your normal mode. Yeah. And you're going to ask her on a date. Yeah. And she was like, Nah, nah, yeah, I'm good. Yeah. <laughs> she basically shuts you down. Yeah. And this is not something that you're used to. Right. You're not used to being put in that. And she's like, no, she wanted to be disconnected from you. But y'all did eventually start going out and pick the story up from there because it's an interesting start to that relationship, especially compared to where you're at now. Yeah. So uh, to, to your point, you know, this is like super gorgeous girl. So I'm working in a CrossFit gym. Um I, I, you know, this is, this is about two years after I got out of the industry. So, um, made, made some strides in the, in the right direction from the outside looking in because, you know, I quit the industry and then, you know, I, I, again, you know, I was someone who was thinking of taking my life. So, uh, was I making responsible financial decisions? No, of course not. Um, wasn't paying my, my taxes quarterly. Uh, I was making astronomical amounts of money, spending a ton, living in expensive places. Um, but I remember uh, taxes came back around a year after the industry because I quit like right at the end of the year. So I, get, I pay taxes, you know, right after that. But the following year, it, it was not good. It was not good. So it, it pretty much, you know, cleaned me out. And I remember I had a uh, Brightling by Bentley watch that I just absolutely loved that I had to sell that to, to pay my taxes. And, um, but anyway, I, I, I was working at this gym and working at a grocery store, finally worked my way up in this gym, uh, made it to a place where like I'm somewhat respected. I'm, I'm one of the lead trainers in the gym. Uh, Cause again, that's my mentality. Like whatever I'm doing, I'm, I'm going to be the best um, because I have to be, because that's how I validate myself. And, um, so, you know, this girl, best athlete in the gym, incredible gymnast, gorgeous. I walk up to her. Um, hey, I'll put your weights away. I got you, babe. She's like, get out of here, dude. <laughs> get out of here, you know. And I was like, I- I'd love to grab dinner with you sometime. She's like, I think I'm okay. <laughs> and, um, and then she's like, well, I'm going for a run in the morning. And it's like, for me, it's like, you know, I, I like to like, power cleans and, and sprints or push a sled. It's like run a 5k. It's like, man, that's a nightmare, but I'll do it for you. I will do it for you. So I meet her at this park to go run. And, um, like this, this boy starts whispering to me. And I think it was a combination of, you know, God trying to work on me and my mom. Uh, don't you lie to that girl. 
Don't you dare lie to that girl. And what you'll find is often, um, like obviously a lie to someone's face is hurtful, but sometimes it's what you don't say. That that hurts equally bad. Um, So for me, I would, I would withhold information until uh, it would come out. And then I would just like, then deal with it. And um, that's, you know, that's, that's how I was living my life. And I just couldn't do that with her. So I'm like, Hey, uh, you know, before the, even the run started, we were walking. I was like, Hey, uh, I, I, I did a little bit of porn. She's like, what, (laughs) what'd you say? And I was like, all right, man, uh, tell her the whole truth. And I did, I told her everything. And, um, she was pretty shocked by what I said. And then, you know, she looks at me kind of, you know, puts her foot down says, well, uh, a person's not defined by the worst thing they've ever done. And a person's not defined by the greatest thing they'll ever accomplish either. God defines a person. You don't get to define yourself. Do you know who God is? And for me, you know, I'd gotten very good at, you know, pretending to be whoever I thought the person across from me wanted me to be because I didn't know who I was. But I was great at putting on that first date mask and I'm going to become whoever you want me to be. So I was trying to sell her on like, yeah, you know, I I believe in this and that. And like, yeah, I know God. And she's like, well, uh, what's your relationship with Jesus like? Are you like, are you part of a community? And just asking me a few questions that quickly disqualified me from whatever I thought I I knew. And um, she's like, well, you know, I've been following Jesus since I was in the seventh grade. My whole family's Christian and I'm not perfect by any means, but my relationship with Jesus is the foundation of how I live my life. And then she, you know, quickly transitioned into, okay, you know, what, what kind of food do you like? What's your hopes and dreams? I'm like, what? What? (laughs) Wait, I just told you that. And you want to know if I like tacos? Like, what? It, it just blew my mind. And in a, in a very real, real way, it's like the way that she responded to me, it created this curiosity. It's like, man, if, if what is in her is causing her to be able to respond like that, um, I want to know more. It's, I mean, a really great, you know, representation like Colossians, like four, six, talking about your speech being gracious and see them assault. So you might know how you ought to answer each person and some and sometimes it's not what you say it's what you don't say or how you say it and um you know we we text like maniacs for a week and then she invites me to church and and then you know i i go into church and again i'm thinking you know i i, I i'm curious but i'm probably gonna like catch on fire if i walk in here you know yeah. like i don't have any business here and they had this like big wooden plaque when you walk in the door and it said, we want to love people where they are and encourage them to grow in their relationship with Jesus Christ. And I was like, Jesus, I know a little bit about him. He sounds cool. But if you knew where I was, right. no way, no way. And, uh, you know, again, I, I grew up in a very uh, small, independent Southern Baptist church. And what I knew was that if you had a wrinkle in your shirt or a tattoo on your arm, you're going to hell. <laughs> That's yeah. pretty much all yeah. I knew. And uh, this guy gets up in t-shirt and jeans and cowboy boots, and he sounds like my grandpa. And he's talking about his relationship with Jesus. And he starts telling the story about um, Jonathan and David and how uh, when, uh, when David uh, took over as, as king, when Jonathan died— um, historically, the previous kingdom was wiped out. They would make sure that every person that was still alive that was attached to the previous kingdom was killed because they didn't want them to think they had access to this new kingdom. And David was different. And David actually asked, hey, this, this is from First Samuel, um, but David uh, asked, is there anyone left out of Jonathan's lineage? And they're like, yeah, Mephibosheth. And they go and find him. And Mephibosheth knew history because it was important. And, and what it meant historically was that he was deserving of death. And David sent a guard to go find him. And David's guard extended a hand instead of a spear and brought him back into David's kingdom. And David gave him a seat and even restored his land. 
And then the pastor pivots and he's like, you know what? Uh, Romans 3.23 says that um, we've all sinned and fall short of the glory of God. So who's guilty? Everybody. And then Romans 6.23 says the wages of sin is death. So if we're all guilty and the cost of that sin is death, meaning eternal separation from a holy and perfect God, what are we to do? So we're all guilty and we're all separated from God, you know? And it's like, well, I'm like, well, I was like, man, maybe I'm not the only bad person here. You know, I guess everyone, yeah. you know, and, yeah. and then he starts talking about how Jesus being fully God and fully man came into this world, lived a perfect life. And then with joy set before him was humiliated and, and just tortured and, and beaten and died on the cross willingly to pay the sin for all people for all time that will put their faith in him. And he didn't stay dead. On the third day, he rose, defeating hell, death, sin, the grave. And he's seated. He's not standing. He's seated at the right hand of God because it's done. And that is available to you. That forgiveness, that reconciliation, that standing with God is available to you, not because you deserve it, not because you're special, not because you're good, because you're loved by Jesus so much that he was willing to die for you. And if you put your faith in him, that changes everything. The bridge that you need to get to God, you cannot build. You can't be tough enough. You can't be strong enough. You can't give away enough money. You can't walk enough old ladies across the street. There's nothing good that you could ever do to make you perfect. Only Jesus was perfect. And not because of you, because of him, you can be saved. And I heard that message and I gave my life to Jesus. And there was a lot of snot, you know, a lot of yeah. tears. Um, uh, and I felt, man, this weight come off of me that day. And it wasn't the porn. It was the burden I've been carrying my entire life, believing that I wasn't deserving of anything. And I wasn't any good and I was inadequate. And I was like, man, we all are but we all are equally loved so much that Jesus died for me. And that's, that's the message of the gospel. That's the message to everybody listening to this is there are varying levels of depravity, but every level of depravity separates you from God. Yeah. And so we need the, the payment for our sins. And the only way to get that is through Jesus. And so uh, we're running a little short on time. So just to bring everybody up to speed, you ended up marrying that lovely gal yeah. from the gym yeah. that took you on the run and took you to church. Yeah. I believe y'all have three kiddos. Now you got a fourth on the way. Yeah. Yeah. Um, there is a question though that I don't intend for it to be voyeuristic, but I know that there are guys in my yeah. in my audience that are probably struggling with this, sure. and gals that are sure. in my audience that are struggling with this. Because if you've heard from different counselors or different things, when a man has looked at porn and has been caught by his wife, yeah. what she's constantly thinking about is, oh my gosh, now he's going to compare me to yeah. all these beautiful, perfect women. My curiosity for you and for her is. And from the first time I heard your story, I was like, how does she yeah. cope with the fact that you, you did over a thousand straight scenes yeah. with, with other women and like, because she obviously seems like a very self-confident, very strong yeah. young lady, very strong faith, but man, your, your brain can really take you to some sure. dark places. How, how have y'all kind of worked through that as a couple? And I don't just mean that relationally, but also sexually. Yeah. I mean, to, to, to be completely honest, so for, for us it's never been an issue uh, because for her, uh, she believes the Bible to be true. And if 2 Corinthians 5.17 says that person that I used to be is dead and gone, and now I'm a new creation, either that is true or it's not. Right. So for her, why would I let something that had nothing to do with me that a dead person did that I have nothing to do with impact me today. So, so no, Satan, you don't get to steal my joy. No, Satan, you don't get to be in my marriage. No, Satan, you don't get to have any authority in my life. So is it true that I did those things? Yes. Do they have any impact on my life? No. I think that's a, a healthy way of looking at it because 
I think there's a lot of cultural Christianity. There's a lot of country music Christianity in this world to where it's just like, you know, God's that man upstairs and I'm going to find him in nature. And, you know, I know these verses and I'm going to put them on a t-shirt or a coffee cup, but it's like, yeah, you, you read them, but you don't believe them. Yeah. But, but that is true. The, the old has passed away and there is a new life before you. Um, so, so that's a really healthy place for her and for you you both to be. Um, I know we're running short on time, so I guess we'll make this the last question of the day, but you don't just become a Christian. You don't just kind of turn your life around and and marry the girl and happy ending. You know, you go and get a degree in biblical theology and you you are going to use your former self, your former life, your former depravity and actions to assist other people and to, to not only try to lead them to Christ because, you know, you don't have a porn problem. You have a sin problem. You don't have a masturbation problem. You've got a sin problem. It goes way deeper than just, you know, acting out in a way that makes you feel good. So talk to me a little bit about the work that you're doing now, the ministry that you have and how you're helping people. Yeah. I I, want to extend what I said that our time would be together just because I want to say a few things. And I think they're really important. Um, Yeah. So number one, um, other people's opinions and words can only impact you emotionally if you give them access to. That person that's on the other side of the screen that's commenting something about you, um, they know 1% of, of your life. And why would you allow someone you would never ask advice from to impact you emotionally. Right. Like don't take why? advice from people. Don't take critique from someone you wouldn't take advice from. Yeah. yeah like why, like why would you do that? But it, it's just true. I mean, so either because at the end of the day, like to your point, like we don't have a porn problem. We have an identity problem. And if your identity is contingent on your feelings and your action, we're all screwed. Like that is not who you are. The author of life has designed you there's there's interesting there's there's integral things about your life that have been designed by a designer that are absolutely true about you and you might feel a certain way or someone that you respect might say something or you might read something that impacts you but if it doesn't line up with the author of life and what he says about you you have to reject that as a lie that's why, like, like First uh, Corinthians four seven, I believe it is, uh, talking about you have to take every thought captive. You have to take every thought captive and make it obedient to Christ. So, how do you do that? Well, you got to renew your mind. So, Romans twelve two, Romans twelve two talks about how we're either being conformed by the world, or we're being transformed by the renewing of our mind. We, well, Joshua, let, let me hop in there because that, that's the, the exact point. I think it's Second Corinthians 10, 5 is like, 10, take 5, every yeah. thought captive. Yeah. yeah, take every thought captive and make it accountable to Christ. The reason why I know that scripture is because when I was struggling to get over my porn and masturbation problem, that <laughs> this is going to be a little crass, but here we are 45 minutes into this. But that was my make my boner run away scripture. Yeah. Because it was like, hey, all these thoughts I'm having right now yeah. and I'm, I'm lonely and I, I'm yes. bored and I just want to yeah. do this. It's like, no, 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 no. Those thoughts are not mine. Yeah. Like those thoughts were placed there and I need to gather up those thoughts, put them in a little baggie and make them accountable to Christ. And if I do that, then I will not act out in the way and I will not try to find my identity. I will not try to find my self-medication or my release in that. You know what I mean? And and you made a really great point because again, like porn is problematic, but porn is not your problem. Your problem, like porn is the medication for your actual problem. So if I could, if I could go back in time, the, you know, this, this porn agent says, I can do all these things for you. Uh, why would I say yes to something that's a counterfeit version of what I want? Right. So if I, I want to watch porn, I genuinely would want to watch it. But if I stopped and asked myself, okay, what am I actually feeling? Am I angry? Am I lonely? Am I frustrated? Am I bored? Okay, these things are true, but I don't have to let them take me to this other place. Maybe I need to think about why am I feeling this way? And that's a tough thing to do. That's a tough thing to do. Men and women, it's a tough thing to do. What 
what is prompting this feeling? Is, is there an underlining issue? There always is. And when you get to the root, you get to the source of the problem. It's not porn. It's the root. And the root is something that happened to you, something that you did, something that's not confessed, something that, you know, uh, you, you don't have to get on a you know, social media platform and tell everyone, but maybe, maybe tell someone you trust something right. that happened to you or, or something that you went through or something that you did that you feel embarrassed about and process those things. Because often when it's in your head and then it comes out of your mouth, man, there's so much freedom in that. Well, and Joshua, like we are obsessed in our modern culture with univariate analysis. Oh, this thing is happening. And so we do the top line of research and say, well, that's got to be the problem. Yeah. But it goes so many uh, lines deeper because you just mentioned going back to that conversation with that agent. Yeah. And he was providing you with things that you thought you wanted. But if we can go all the way back to your childhood yeah. and if you had found identity as Joshua Broom, the yeah. son of blank. Yeah. The, and and if you had found your identity in that, yeah. you're not in LA. Yeah. You're not in that restaurant. You're yeah. not with those girls. You're not with the producer and then on and on and so forth. Now, you're probably not with your wife. You're probably not with your kids. But anyway, we're not going to extrapolate this out to you know a completely different universe here. Yeah. But again, it goes back to your earthly father did not show you who you were. Yeah. And so you were almost blockaded yeah. from the heavenly father. Cause who wants a heavenly version of this crappy worldly version? Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. And then at the same time, I think like your, the way that you see yourself and the way that you see the world is often through the lens of your trauma or the lens of your sin or the lens of your lack. Um, because you, you'll see, well, I can't do this. Because for me, like part of me wanting to take my life was I would never be a dad. I'll never be a husband. Like, sure, I could get a girl pregnant. Sure, I could marry someone. But um, I would never have those things in the way that I hope for them to be long ago. Um, and then I was like, man, I'll, I'll never be able to be creative in a way that impacts people in a positive way. Uh, no organization will ever take me seriously. Yet I find myself, again, you know, because I did the work, like I didn't step out of the industry and step onto, you know, a stage and start preaching. You know, I, I did an internship for about four years. I spent, you know, 15 to 20 hours a week with someone mentoring me, teaching me how to read the Bible in proper context. I go and I study the Bible at Liberty University. You know, I, I do all this stuff. And this has been an eight year journey where I'm learning more about myself and I'm learning more about the word each and every day. And it's like, man, if you want to do something that is in your heart, pursue it. And if it lines up with God, guess what? There's actually gifts and talents and abilities and there's provision and there's going to be an anointing on what you're doing because guess what? God made you to do it. The fact that you're on this planet is for a reason. There's purpose for you to step into, but often we're afraid of it because it doesn't line up with what I think I can do. And it's distorted and diminished by what people say or what I've done or what I've heard and I don't step into it. So yeah, I mean, be strong and create, be strong and courageous in that not who you believe you are and what you believe you can do, but what has been done on your behalf and what you have access to because who Jesus is. Well, and Joshua, everyone's read that, you know, self-help book and, the, or maybe they watch some dork on Instagram that thinks he's an influencer and they, they talk about your mindset and you got to be able to solve these problems. You got to, you know, uh, communicate to yeah. yourself, positive vibes and meditation and yeah. blah, 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 and all that. It's about whose are you? Yeah. Not who do you think you are? Yeah. What qualities do you think you have? It's whose are you? Yeah. Are you Satan's or are you God's? Because if you think you are Satan's, you will go those directions. And yeah. you mentioned counterfeits a, w a little bit ago. The best counterfeiter on the planet is Satan yeah. because he he's going to tell you that, oh, you know, jerking off with your pants around your ankles is just like the real thing. Yeah. You don't need to go ask that girl out. You don't need to do any of those different things. You know, it's, it's fine. It's good enough. Or it's just another drink. What's it going to hurt? Yeah. It's just another line. What's it going to hurt? And again, it goes back to Whose are you? Yeah. And whose hand is going to be protecting you? Because yeah. Satan's hand is a false hand. Yeah. It looks like it is strong, but it's vapid. It's nothing. It's yeah. worthless. Whereas the hand of God is something that can not only hold you up, but it can sustain you yeah. 
through those moments where you are as far down as you think you could possibly go. Yeah. It's a different thing entirely. Yeah. hundred percent. Yeah. And, and just to, you know, for me, you know, I, uh, just thinking about counterfeits, like, and you know, for me, I, I associate that with a bank teller because a bank teller mm-hmm. is able to identify counterfeits, not by examining everything that's fake. Yep. They become very familiar with what is real and what, what is trustworthy. And that's the beauty of like where Romans 12, two ties in. And that, that's exactly it. You hear that all the time. It's like they're, <laughs> You don't become experts on the thousands of counterfeits. You become an expert on the real thing to where you can identify it, where it's just like going back to the bank teller, that whisper that she heard. She probably didn't have a long theological discussion with herself later that day where she kind of broke down whatever she felt like God was telling her. Like, that's probably not what happened. But the whisper came and she got to decide whether or not to act and who that whisper came from. And so uh, another encouragement I want to give to people, because sometimes Joshua when you say like, ah, oh, you know, you don't have a ma- uh, porn problem. You, you got a soul problem or something yeah. like that. The answer is true, right? Yeah. That That is the right answer because it's not a porn problem. It's not a masturbation problem. It's not a self-medication problem. It's a God-shaped hole in your soul that you got to yeah. fill and you're trying to fill it up with ejaculate. Yeah. But in, in this I- exact example that we're talking about, I don't want people to hear the wrong thing. Yeah, like, you still oh, hey, have I- a habitual problem. Yeah. Right. And so that doesn't mean, okay, I don't need covenant eyes anymore. I don't need this software anymore. I don't need accountability partners. I don't need any of that. But I will tell you, if you're using that as a mask, you will be found out. If you have covenant eyes on your computer, so your wife will get off your back, that's going to be a problem for you in the long run. You, because here's the deal, you know how to get around your filters. You're smart enough to do that. You also know how to get around your accountability partners and you know how to lie or lie by omission, by not telling them the full truth. And so at the end of the day, you have to go those several layers deep and do that hard soul level work of why is this happening right now? But there are great things out there that can assist with getting rid of those habits that you've created because yeah. those are hard to break as well. Yeah, 100%. Yeah, so for, for me, you know, it's like uh, I, I don't think you can be uh, – you can't be disciplined until you become self-aware. So I have to be self-aware first. Uh, and then that comes from me saying, okay, uh, pornography is problematic to me in, in, in my life, and it's hurting me and hurting those around me. It's detrimental to my heart my brain and how I, how I interact with the world. Uh, and then next I need to take inventory of my life. What am I allowing into my life? Who's speaking into my life? What am I watching? What am I listening to? Uh, because my input often determines my, determines my output. So I need to, what am I, I need to take inventory of what I'm bringing in. And to your point, I, there has to be boundaries. I tell my kids not to touch hot things because I want to protect them. Um, right. and, and you think about like John 14, 15, if you love me, you obey my commandments. It's not do what I say or I'm going to you know, spite you. Uh, trust what I'm saying because it's best for you. If you understand the character of God, you'll understand the tone of God. And what he's trying to do is lead you into a better way. Um, so bound, So if he, if he does that for you, we're image bearers of him. So we're to replicate that. So we need boundaries in our own life to protect us from ourselves. And that looks like accountability partners, you know, safety software, and then also ask, like, be willing to ask yourself tough questions. You yep. know, it's like, why do I feel like this? Because mm. you're, the emotion that you're feeling is not sinful. It's it's what you do with the emotion. Yeah, it's the acting out that people don't really, because they want to associate the action with who they are as a person, but then they don't want to associate it with something deeper. But yeah, when you have those conversations with yourself, that's hard work, fellas. Yeah. That's that's some call you on the carpet thing. That's why you need a foxhole of guys around yeah. you that you can go to. You perhaps need to work through that with a, a trusted counselor yeah. or a pastor, yeah, someone so, that could actually step through. Yeah, so I mean, that's part of my story. It's like I did counseling right. for over a year. Um, and again, uh, the the... Maybe not my my favorite book I've ever read, but definitely the um, it's it's in the top ten. Uh, but it's definitely the most impactful book that I've ever read, and I read it often. Uh, Eugene Peterson's uh, "Long Obedience in the Same Direction." Like that's the source of winning in any area of your life, because what you need is obedience and discipline, uh, not for a short period, but for the long haul. And if I can be obedient and be disciplined for a long time, guess what? I'll, I'll start moving in a direction and I'll continue moving in that direction because if I'm five degrees off and I'm going from New York to Los Angeles, I'm going to end up in Seattle. 
And, and that's the absolute truth. Again, guys, I say it all the time. What do I say it for? My example is working out. There's nothing that has more diminishing returns than exercising. The reason is, is because if you do it once, it doesn't cover you for the rest of the year. It doesn't cover you for the rest of the quarter, the rest of the month, the rest of the week. Yeah. It's something that you have to constantly do, but it is that obedience in one direction constantly. And it doesn't matter what the modality is. Yeah. It's the action that yeah. you're doing. And the same applies to your spiritual life, sexual life, everything else. But Joshua, we've covered a lot of ground in yeah. a short period of time. I really appreciate your time today, but that's all for me. Is there anything else you want to get off your chest? Yeah. I mean, uh, I, I just want you to know, like, first and foremost, man, if you're watching this and you are struggling with sexual sin, or if you're, wa if you watch pornography 30 minutes before you turn this uh, podcast on, uh, there's, there, there is no condemnation, right? There's, there's no shame. There's no guilt, right? Because if, if you're in Christ, if you're in Christ, Romans 8, 1 says, therefore there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, but there is conviction. And conviction is from the Holy Spirit. And that conviction is you understand, you feel this prompting that, hey, uh, the direction that I'm moving, what I'm thinking, uh, that this I saw this on Instagram and then I'm going to go in this direction. You have the choice not to do that. Um, so be like Joseph, not like David. David, uh, he looked, he looked again. He did something he shouldn't have done. Instead of clearing his browser history, he killed Uriah. We don't want to do that. We want to be like Joseph. Joseph, you know, he had this interaction with Potiphar's life, wife, and he didn't stick around him and man up. He fled. He fled. You know, so uh, when you feel like you're going to do something you don't want to do or you're in a situation where you know uh, something is moving in a direction you don't want to go, get out of there. Close the computer. Stop the conversation. Get out of there. Go take a walk. Go hit the gym. Call someone. Do something else. Don't try to man up because what you'll find is you'll end up flat on your face and you'll end up doing something you never would have done if you would have just removed yourself from that situation. So that's my advice. That's the way to win and just do that for a long time. And if you're struggling with pornography, uh, man, that urge might not ever go away. Like those thoughts might not ever completely dissipate, but I do promise you this, the more that you say no, the easier it will be to say no. And it's like two dogs in the fight. Whichever one you feed is going to be the strongest and it's going to pull you in that direction. So the more that you do the right thing and the more you say no to the thing you don't want to do, even if that desire that Paul talks about, Romans 7, you know, why do I do the things that I don't want to do? Uh, it, that desire might still be there, but it's going to be easier to make the right decision. And the more you make the right decision, it's going to get easier and easier and easier. You just got to keep doing the right thing. I was going to hit my outro, but I do want to follow up on something you said, because that's exactly right. Because some people, whenever they accept Christ or when Christ, you know, snatches them, whichever your, your status of theology is, their propensity for whatever self-medication goes out the window, yeah. right? So they don't want to look at porn anymore. They don't want to do uh, drugs anymore. They don't want to have sex with random strangers anymore. They don't want to drink alcohol anymore, but then there's everybody else. So like me, I've, I don't watch porn anymore, but I feel the pull. I feel the tug towards that every day Yeah, because that's the world that we're in. Every time you open up any app on your phone there, you are one click away from hardcore pornography, yeah. even if you're watching YouTube videos. But it is that pre-decision I talk about all the time. You have yeah. to pre-decide. I am not a man that looks at pornography. Yeah. Okay. Because guess what? Or and even more pre-decide. I'm a, I'm not a man that masturbates. Yeah. And you're not going to watch porn unless you need a masturbatory aid. Yeah. And so it's it's about that pre-decision. It's about having the right modalities in place. So I absolutely love it. That was a great place. I kind of stole a little bit of your fire from the yeah. end there, but you but you look okay. Yeah. You, you know you didn't pull out your fancy microphone for today, <laughs> so it's okay. I kind of got back at yeah. you at the end. But Joshua Broom, thank you so much for coming on Dawn to Life a Man's podcast. Absolutely. There you go, guys. I hope you enjoyed my time with Joshua Broom. But before we let you go, we are going to do a quick resilience boost. At Undaunted Life, our mission is equipping men to push back darkness with content that forges spiritual, mental, and physical resilience. So I've got three links for you today. I've got a link to Joshua's website. I've got a link to his Instagram. And then also a link to his video that he did with I Am Second.
Thank you guys for listening to this episode. Wherever you're listening to this, please subscribe, rate, and leave us a positive five-star review. If you want me to come speak live at your event or on your podcast, just shoot me an email to info at undaunted.life. That's I-N-F-O at undaunted.life. Follow us on Instagram and like us on Facebook and check out our website for everything else, including how to donate to keep more content like this coming your way. Just go to www.undaunted.life. Also, we want to thank the band Holy Name for allowing us to use their music for our content. The music on this podcast is our song Perpetua, which is off their self titled debut album on face down records the links are in the description i'm your host kyle thompson remember keep pushing back darkness keep forging spiritual mental and physical resilience keep seeking the lion of judah <laughs>